Let's uh, pray in preparation for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would um, just help us to to come into your presence as we uh, hear the word this morning. I pray that you would uh, just touch me with your spirit and help me to help me to speak in in ways that reflect your heart. Um, that I would be faithful to the, to the gospel. That I would be faithful to the the spirit's prompting. Um, and Lord, help me to get out of the way of of what you're doing. Lord, let let me not be a distraction. Let me not be a, a let me not be a, a hindrance to anybody hearing from you today, Lord. I pray that that um, Jesus would be glorified and that all of this would point to you. Um, and for the folks who are here, I pray that you would touch their hearts and prepare them as good soil, Lord. Uh, till the ground and and prepare them for the the watering of the Spirit. And the, pray that the seeds that we plant today in the gospel that they would grow into a great harvest and and just produce a produce a good work in your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We are, uh, we're working our way up to Easter, and actually what we're looking at building up to Easter is sort of the last, uh, the last bit of teaching Jesus did before he was arrested. And, and before I, I kind of dive into that in John 14, we're, we're going to talk a second. I'm going to talk about my kids. I always talk about my kids. I think people, you know, their folks rolling their eyes. You know, I can talk about his kids again. And, but I, I'm in an interesting spot right now because my, my children, are like three years apart, and they're they're hitting different phases in their development. Um, Titus is just hitting the point where he can hold a crayon well enough to trace letters. And so my wife, who is a better parent than I am, um, regularly prints up these sheets. And for him to do things he wants, he's got to fill out tracing letters so he can learn to write his letters. And then hopefully one day not have handwriting like his father's. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I regularly get amen courses, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the difference, though, my, my daughter is in a spot where she's been doing these tracings for years, right? But now she's hitting the point where she's having to learn sight words is what they call them. And she's having to learn to sound out words. And she understands that the letters aren't just like drawings but that they represent stuff. And she's able to sit down and like, she read me a short book the other day. It was a proud moment. Isn't that great? Where like she sat down and said, Dad, I'm going to read this to you. And, and she sat down and she worked her way through it. And the difference is Titus, um, you know, he's only three, but he is, all he's learning is that there are these things and he's got to write them out, right? And he knows they're everywhere. Um, and he knows that we insist like he, that he draw them. And if he draws them, he gets to watch TV. Like that is the fullness of the message, right? Gotta do this. Abby, on the other hand, um, she understands that these things that she's had to draw for years represent something else. And that, that if she learns to, to read them, she can do all kinds of cool stuff. She can read her own books. She can read like comic books. You know, she's got stacks of comic books she'll be able to read to herself and, and like all of this stuff. But there's a transition point, right? And, and really, I mean, ultimately, she's going to spend the next probably 30 years of her life, you know, past reading to understanding like the significance of what she reads. Does that make sense? Like I, I will read something and then read it years later and discover new depth in it or, or find new treasures that I, you know, didn't think were there or realize there are jokes. It's one of the best things I'm figuring out about, 
about the, the, the Bible now is how much humor is built into like the things that people said because I've started studying the culture a little more and you realize that Jesus said some really funny stuff. Like people, people hung out with him because he was, you know, well, because he was God. I mean, that's a big attraction. Um, but also like he was, he was very good at teaching and he was very funny sometimes. Um, so like as we dive into this, understand that, that the, Key to understanding the message today is going to be this transition from um, basic, I don't understand, to I really grasp this, right? And hopefully I'll move you from that point to that point in the course of the sermon. We'll see. Um, real quick, the setting for this uh, particular message, this is at the Last Supper. Uh, they have just done communion. Jesus has washed their feet, and he starts giving them the final set of lessons. And he has talked about, um, first he said, well, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Don't worry, I'm going. You will join me. The day is coming. It is, it is happening. And when he gets done, the disciples, being thick as a brick, say to him, well, hey, if you tell us where you're going, we'll head on over too. Just give us directions. He said, no, I'm going to heaven. Like, what is wrong with you, you know? Um, and, and the second message we talked about last week, Jesus comes out right and he says, look, you don't need to know the way. I am the way. But he's also the destination, right? Like, all of life is about traveling with Christ, following Christ, and eventually joining Christ in eternity, is kind of the bottom line of it. And, you know, then the second half of last week we talked about, well, wait a minute, you're talking about the Father. Show us the Father and we'll be happy. And he's like, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Now, why am I recovering this? I've had a couple of people give me grief. Eric, you spend the first 20 minutes telling us what we already know. Because in context, this passage changes dramatically. Got it? And here's why. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, if you sit down and you start hunting around for books and sermons on this verse, you will discover that it is one of the most misunderstood and abused verses in the entire Bible. Not the most. The most abused verse in the Bible is, I have a plan for you, you know, to... Which is, which is about, hey, I'm going to send you into exile and kill most of you, but don't worry, it's for your own good. And in reality, we give it to college graduates and say, hey, God has a plan for you. It's foreshadowing for what work is like. Um, in this instance, sorry, I, we're both, I, I, all right. <laughs> As we dive into this, like we're gonna we're gonna pick it apart, and I'll get into the abuses in a minute. Truly, truly, by the way, is an amen, amen statement, right? Whenever Jesus says that, he's saying, "Pay attention to this; it is extra important," right? And it is because he makes a pretty grandiose claim right here. Hey, you're gonna, you know, whoever believes in me. By the way, real quick, that is not conditional. Well, it is conditional, but it's not. Hey, some of you who believe in me, right? He actually says, whoever believes in me. And so this is available to all of you. Everybody with me? This is not, well, that guy is kind of a super Christian, and so he has a special position. Or um, you see this with pastors a lot, where they'll say, well, you know, I have a bigger church, and so God is using me for a better thing. They won't say it out loud, but, you, you know, I'm one of us. I'll tell you we think it. You know, or you're in a smaller church, or I'm in a smaller church, so my ministry doesn't mean, nope. 
Um, in reality, like, Jesus isn't making these qualifiers. He's not that impressed by, like, what we do, right? And we'll get into why. But whoever believes in me, so this is available to everyone, right? Everybody still with me? This applies to you. Don't tune out. Because you can use this. Um, before we go further, I'm going to come back to this verse in a second. Uh, we're going to jump to the book of Acts. Now, the church, so Jesus is about to be arrested. He's crucified. He dies. He's buried. In the act of being crucified, he is punished for the sins of the world. So like every rotten thing you do, every rotten thing I do, Jesus gets punished, right? Um, he rises from the dead as proof that when all of us are gone, we will rise again one day, right? Some of us to glory, some of us to, to regret, but like everybody will live again. That is coming. No way around it. Um, so, like, Jesus ascends, he leaves, and then the church starts doing its work. And as the church is doing its work, there is a common theme we find in Acts. I'm going to touch on two verses here. The first one has to do with Saul. Everybody know who Saul was? He was Paul, right? He changed his name. Um, well, Jesus changed his name. Paul had been, or Saul, <laughs> Saul had been out persecuting the church. He helped he helped officiate the murder of Stephen. They officiated murders in that period, um, which is quite a thing. And then he arrested Christians and all this other stuff. And so in, in 1 to 5 here, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So he's going to Damascus to deal with the church there. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, before we finish it, real quick. Is Jesus saying, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? Doesn't sound like it, right? Is he saying, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Not saying that, is he? He is persecuting the followers of Jesus. He is persecuting the church. But in a bigger and more real way, he is persecuting Christ. Um, and he goes on to say this. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What's the message behind this? Just real quick. The church is Jesus now. Y'all with me? Like, we are the body of Christ. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are voices. Some of us are like parts you don't want to show in public. Some of us, I hate that. Paul said that, not me. I didn't. Just say something horrible. That was in the Bible. Um, like, But all of us are the body of Christ because God's plan for the world after Christ like ascended was that we would step into his role and perform his work in the world. Okay? And so like going forward, the understanding will be we are acting on Jesus' behalf. We are the body of Christ. And actually, whenever you see the church do really big things, like in Acts 9, a little bit later here, right? Um, Paul, Saul, goes off to Damascus. And um, Peter, meanwhile, elsewhere. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. Or Lydda, not Lydia, Lydda. Um, and he found a man named Ananias. Uh, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. 
rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now watch this. Peter stepped up and said, by the miraculous power I have, you're healed. Nope. Hey, by the miracle, because you've sown a seed of money in my hand. Didn't say that either. So if you're a televangelist, say, hey, if you give me enough money, I'll heal you. Load of garbage, right? What he's saying is, Jesus Christ heals you. Um, because the church is Christ, right? We are the body of Christ in the world. When people look at you, they are looking at the body of Christ. We stand in his spot. We grow to be like him. He is the way, right? And, and this is like, this is God's plan. We are to be Christ to the world. Um, so, actually, we're going to go right on back to Acts here, or to not Acts, work. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me also uh, will also do the works I do. So, if we are doing the works that he does, what, how are we doing the works he does? Well, we are his body. And he is acting through us. And so, like, as we, like, do things, we are doing them on his behalf. We are acting on his behalf. Um, Well, how does that play out? Well, um, real quick. Well, shoot. Um, Let me hit regroup here. I I got off my outline. Um, So, Jesus, Jesus has gone to the Father. Um, I am going to the Father. Uh, this is kind of the key to understanding all this, right? So we are the body of Christ because Jesus has gone to be with the Father. And his works, like we begin to ask, well, what are his works? Um, Jesus' works, right? Jesus' primary job in the creation, like he came to earth, he shed his glory and came to earth. And what he did was he glorified the Father, right? In fact, he said that in... Um, the previous section, like, is that his job basically is, um, he came to show us the Father, right? Like he says, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, when we see him and we see the Father, the reason we're seeing the Father is because Jesus showed up to show us the Father, right? So, like, when he says, hey, hey, I, you will do greater works than me, like, greater than these he will do, um, he's saying, um, you will continue my work, and that continuing of my work will involve showing folks the Father, right? Glorifying the Father. And so, like, some people will come along and say, well, these greater works, this means that I will heal more people and raise more people from the dead. It means that I will, nope, because the primary work that Jesus did was glorify God. If we get lost and say, well, the work of Jesus is feeding the poor, and it is, right, because he did that we lose sight of something better. Um, Because Jesus feeding poor people, Jesus raising people from the dead, Jesus healing folks, everything else was a part of pointing to the Father. Y'all with me? Like, the point of Jesus' ministry, the point of his work, the point of everything that we do in the church is pointing to the Father. And actually, now that Christ has ascended, we point to him... As the way, we tell folks, hey, listen, if you want to go to heaven, you do not have to work for it, right? You do not have to be perfect. You do not have to be better. You don't have to build a bigger church. You don't have to do all of these things. You need to walk with Jesus. If you walk with Jesus, like, you are saved. You're made brand new, and that is fantastic. It is awesome. 
Like we are saved just by having faith in Christ. Um, it is this free gift that God gives us. Um, at this point in time, the disciples have no idea about this, right? And he, in fact, they're, they're outright dumb. Like, you know, like I, I'm sure Jesus spent half his life face palming when he talked to these guys because he'd say, hey, I'm going to the cross. And they'd be like, no, not you. You can't possibly die. He's like, geez, have you people not been listening? You know, well, hey, I'm the Lamb of God, to, you know, here to take the sins of the world away. Well, hey, should we kill all of these people? No. You know, don't kill them. I'm here to save them. Like, what is wrong with y'all? They, you know, or Thomas, even in the previous section, hey, show us the way and we'll go ahead and travel there. And he says, well, haven't you been paying attention? I've said it over and over and over and over again. Aren't you listening? The problem was that they were like Titus, right? They were looking at the words. They didn't understand the words were something more than what they were, right? To Titus, the words are a thing you trace, a drawing you do so that you can watch TV, right? But God's work in Christ is not like, it's not that simple. It wasn't just Jesus showing up to establish an earthly kingdom. It was Jesus showing up to accomplish a work that brings us to the Father. It was Jesus showing up to draw us to God's presence. Um, because of that, there's a clarity to it, right? So when Titus reads the letter S, he doesn't know what the letter S is. When Abby reads the letter S, Abby knows what the letter S is, right? Abby knows that it's not a five, though she drew fives all day the other day doing S's. Um, but she knows exactly what it means now. She knows S is like she or serpent or um, sandwich, which anyway... Um, like all of this stuff, she understands a deeper significance. So when we do greater works, part of what he's talking about here is, part of what he's talking about here is the fact that as we stand in Christ's place, as we stand in Jesus's like, like spot being Christ to the world and speaking on his behalf, we speak with a clarity that no one else has, like not before us. Right? Um, he tips his hand with John the Baptist. He talks about John the Baptist. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Meaning John the Baptist was the best man who ever lived. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Meaning, if you are the worst Christian who has ever lived, you are better than John the Baptist. Really? I didn't even have to eat locusts. <laughs> um, what's that about? Well, you know Christ, and you know the way to Christ. And you can tell folks, hey, you know what? You can't go to heaven by working. Hey, when I do service, I'm not doing service for the sake of doing service. I'm doing service to point to Jesus. Um, I, I, uh, I remember before I was a Christian, I served in a, in a church. I volunteered at a church to help distribute food to poor people in Alabama, and and I did not understand that the work I was doing was about Jesus. I understood that I was showing up to help because there were people who needed food and that was a nice thing to do. Ultimately, after I met Christ, I showed up and there was a different perspective. I'm doing work for Jesus. I'm doing work for Christ. Um, so when Jesus says, hey, you'll do greater works than mine, what he's talking about is, hey, you will do works that will glorify God in a very different way than what I have, right? Why is that? Because most of the time, people didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. He would say, hey, look to the Father. And they're like, what are you, who's Father? You mean Joseph? Because people said that sometimes. They just didn't get it. Um, 
we are capable of doing more because acting as Christ, we are able to point to the Father and glorify him, right? That's awesome. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. By the way, he tips his hand in the very next verse, right? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Because we're glorifying God. That's our job, right? You're saved for the purpose of glorifying God. Everybody who has told you about Jesus did it to glorify God. People who serve do it to glorify God. I hope... I I did a funeral yesterday. I I think about funerals whenever I do them, and I think, well, what do I want mine to be like? And if I want folks to gather up and talk about my life, all I want them to say is, Eric was a guy who was terrible, but he was saved by Jesus. It's funny, my my sister has been listening to my old sermons, right? Because she must not be able to get to sleep at night. Um, (laughs) but, But she's been listening to my old sermons, and she started catching things that I've done wrong in the past, right? So she realized, for example, I had a great conversation with my parents this week about how I used to sneak out, which they didn't realize. But my sister was kind enough to tell on me, like 30 years later, or 25 years later. But I I got in trouble. I'm not grounded, which was nice of them. Um... But, uh, you know, all of these things, she's like, I can't believe you used to do that. You know, and she found out I quit smoking like 12 years ago. You used to smoke? I can't believe you used to do that. I do not want anybody to gather up and say, man, Eric was a well-behaved and holy man, right? That's why I talk about my sin. I don't want you to think I'm good. I'm made new in Christ, right? And it's to glorify the Father. All I want in my life is to glorify the Father, and that's all believers are supposed to want, right? We live to glorify God, which, by the way, like, like if you can do that, people will celebrate, celebrate your life. And they'll do it because they're celebrating Jesus. That is awesome. If you do that in the quietest way where nobody sees it, nobody sings your praises like you're doing better work for the kingdom than a lot of other folks have. Um, Anyway, whatever you ask in my name. Now, real quick here, in my name. People have turned the name of Jesus into a magic incantation. That is not what he's saying, right? It drives me nuts. I pray with folks and they'll say, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would please, in the name of Jesus, feed these people in the name of Jesus and bring healing in the name of Jesus. All right, it's not a magic word. It's just not. It's not like saying abracadabra, so I command God. Nope. In the name of Jesus, actually, right, um, what it's talking about is us stepping into Christ's position as his representatives and speaking as his people, right? Now, in order to do that, it doesn't mean say in the name of Jesus. I say it all the time, but it doesn't mean that. What it means is ask in harmony with his will, right? which I have a slide about that. In fact, uh, this is 1 John 5, 4. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What does that mean? In his name is what that means, right? So if you ask in his name, it means you're walking in his will. It means you're standing in his will. It means you're asking according to his will. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, if you ask, by the way, uh, last verse there, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus, please give me a new Ferrari. Jesus, please help me, you know, lose 40 pounds overnight. Probably not happening, right? 
Probably not. I mean, I, it might. Maybe it's Jesus' will that I... Anyway. Um, what he's really saying is, listen, folks. Walk with me. Be my people. Become like me. And then ask, and you will receive. How do we do that? Well, for starters, we have to know what his will is. Right? And that ain't an instant thing. I don't just know Jesus' will when I wake up in the morning. There's this crazy thing I have to do, like, i got to talk to him. I, I've spent, I've been married for, what, 19 years almost. Uh, I got it right, didn't I? And I spent about 17 of those years giving my wife bad gifts. Right? I never gave her a vacuum cleaner. I never gave her, you know, a new dishwasher. Um, but I, I never asked her, hey, what do you want? What sort of gifts make you happy? What thrills you? Instead, I said, hey, you know what? This is a really nice gift. I should get this. And amazingly, my gifts didn't align with her will very well, right? Every once in a while, a broken clock is right. By the way, someone did not change the batteries in the back, so if I go long, it's probably Daniel Bitz's fault. Um, <laughs> um but like in order to ask in his name according to his will and have him effectively hear us, we have to know his will, which means we have to talk to him, spend time with him, read his word, because Jesus actually did this great job of providing us with all kinds of information about what he thinks, feels, and, 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 and wants, right? Like we just got to read it and digest it. We have to like spend time with him. And the more we do that, the more we become like him, the more that we are capable. It means that we have to root out sin in our lives. Sin is not a very fun topic, but it is a crazy reality. The more sin you have in your life, the more you will be blind to the things of Jesus, right? And beyond that, I think sometimes he just doesn't hear us. Um, We see that in Peter, where Peter says, Hey, husbands, if you ain't treating your wife right, like your prayers are going to be hindered. God ain't listening. Whoops, right? But if you don't get things right, like you put yourself out of his will and you make yourself incapable of asking in his name. We have to root out this stuff to make ourselves uh, like him. Does that mean I'm earning answers to prayers? No, not at all. It means that I'm changing into the kind of person that asks in harmony with God's will, right? that understands things different, that doesn't look at the Bible as, and you see this sometimes, I'll talk to folks and they'll tell me, well, this is what this verse says. And that means if I just give enough money to the right ministry, I will get blessed. No, that's not what it means, right? Or, hey, if I don't forgive people, I'm going to hell. No, that's not exactly what it means. But we have to understand it. Like in an understanding it, it makes us capable of, of, of communicating and engaging with God. How do we apply this? Look at your life, folks. Are you in harmony? Right? Are your actions pointing to the Father? There's a cool thing here, right? There's a cool thing. If you get to the point where you can effectively ask in his name, your life will probably be the kind of life that points to the Father, right? I, uh, I, there are people around me that I learn a lot from. Michael, I pick on him a lot. One of the things I love about Michael is that, that Michael loves the work he does, right? And that impresses me. Michael, Michael loves these guys, and that's awesome, right? And Michael, in the work he does, points to the Father, 
right? I don't think it was always that way. I think he probably started working there because he needed more money. Yeah. <laughs> and the service he did when he started and he didn't know was different. The more he does it and the more he sees the Father and the work he does, the more he points to the Father, right? Um, the more we change our lives, the more our lives will naturally reflect the will and the heart of God. The more we draw close to him, the more we point to him. The more we change, the more we, the more we point, the better we get at this. And amazingly, our prayers will become more effective because we'll ask for the right things. I remember once upon a time I would pray all the time and God never answered my prayers. But I wasn't asking for what he wanted. I was asking for what I wanted. And God ain't a concierge. He is not a holy butler. He's God. Going forward, like this is our call, right? Jesus is saying, I'm going to eternity. And what I leave you with is ability. You can become like me. What I leave you with is the opportunity to clearly communicate how to get to the Father. Actually, even five minutes before, five minutes before, he's like sitting with his disciples. I'm going to call my guys forward. Um, He's sitting with his disciples, and he takes his bread, right, at dinner. He takes his bread, and he starts breaking it up and giving it out to his disciples. And they're looking at him like, you're sharing your dinner with us. And he says, take this bread, take this bread and eat it. This is my body broken for you. This is me going out and being broken on your behalf. And he says, do this whenever you gather up and remember me. Like, like eat my body. Um, and this morning we're going to take, take the Lord's Supper. And understand, like, at the time the disciples did it and they probably thought it was a little weird. And they probably thought, well, what's this about? And there was a significance to it, but I bet it wasn't the significance that has happened a trillion, trillion, trillion times since in the hearts and lives of people who've taken the Lord's Supper, right? Because now folks can take the Lord's Supper and they take it clearly, and it's a greater work because it draws us closer to the Father and it glorifies Him. Um, everything that we do that draws us closer to the Father. And so as you take the Lord's Supper today, examine your heart and say, what do I need to be forgiven for? What was Christ broken for in my life right now?